Jamie trips as we run through the woods. The ground is slippery with mud, and I nearly fall myself as I move to get him up. The downpour shows no signs of letting up. Come on, I shout, pulling him along. His blue jeans and the back of his green t-shirt are smeared with mud. He's such a small kid, small for his age. I'm only three years older than him, but I can pull him along with ease. Maybe that's why Rex goes after him more than he does me. I'm bigger now, and I can actually put up a fight. Jamie, not so much. Although it's not nighttime just yet, the woods are dark. The heavy storm clouds block the sun. I glance behind me as we run, seeing the distant flashlight beam whipping through the trees as Rex runs after us. He yells, his slurred words barely audible thanks to the sound of rain. But I don't need to hear the words to know that he's furious. When I heard him beating on Jamie again, back at the house, I couldn't stop myself. I grabbed my skateboard helmet from my closet and ran out into the living room. There my stepdad was, his left hand around my brother's neck, choking him. Rex's right hand was in a fist and it shot forward, punching Jamie in the stomach as I entered the room. Rex's back was to me, but he heard me coming. As he turned, I smashed the top of the helmet into the left side of his face. The satisfying smack it made was like nothing I'd ever heard before, and it did the trick. He let go of Jamie, but it wasn't like in the movies. It didn't knock him out. And as his face contorted, I could see an incredible rage there. As he screamed at me, I could smell the combination of whiskey and cigarettes on his breath. He swung a savage punch at me, but I ducked it and dodged around him to grab Jamie. Next thing I know, we're out in the woods, running from Rex, running for our lives. The trees thin out before us, and I realize where we are. The ground slopes downward and into a wide clearing. It's the old limestone quarry. I remember some kids at school telling me about a cave in the quarry that hadn't been there before. As far as I knew, no one had gone into it. But I didn't believe the horror stories about it being haunted or a gateway to hell or whatever. If we can find it before Rex gains on us, we can hide in it. And if it really had been covered up until recently, my stepdad wouldn't know about it. Even if he does find it, we can throw rocks at him until he leaves us alone. As we run down the slope and into the quarry, I scan for a cave in the low light. There's a dark spot in a rock wall nearly 100 yards away. I can't tell if it's a cave or not, but it's worth a shot. We run toward it, dodging around big chunks of rock and nearly twisting our ankles on smaller ones. As we get closer, I see it as a cave. We run inside a few feet and then stop. I turn around, seeing the flashlight beam coming down the slope from the woods. It looks like he slowed down. That's good. We sit, watching. Is he going to find us? Jamie asks, his voice shaking. I don't know, I say. Be quiet. Rex continues yelling drunkenly as he stumbles around getting closer to the cave. What was that? Jamie says, turning to look into the dark void behind us. Shh, it's nothing. I heard something moving. Jamie says, no, you didn't. Just be quiet. I think about moving deeper into the cave, but I'll have to turn on my phone's flashlight to do that, if my phone even still works. For all I know, 
There could be a vertical drop-off just behind us and we could fall to our deaths. But turning on a light would alert Rex to our presence. So we stay put, far enough past the mouth of the cave to not be seen with a casual glance. But Rex is getting closer. I grab Jamie and pull him into a crouch as the flashlight beam sweeps over the mouth of the cave. Then it sweeps back and stays on the cave mouth. You little shit! Rex yells. You better get your asses out here right goddamn now! I realize I'm shaking badly. I've been acting on instinct ever since hitting Rex back at the house. Now I've had a chance to consider the consequences of my actions. Not that I would have done anything differently. For all I know, Rex would have killed Jamie tonight if I hadn't intervened. But knowing I did the right thing does little to eliminate the fear I now feel. I pull out my phone, turning my back on the cave mouth as I see if it still works. It does. My pocket protected it enough from the rain. Using only the illumination from the screen, I grab Jamie and head further into the cave. The ground changes under our feet, getting somewhat springy. There also seems to be a very low glow coming from the cave walls and floor. It's hard to tell for sure, but I want to say the walls and floor are reddish, almost maroon. As we turn a corner, I realize that there are no loose rocks on the ground. The ground is rigid and uneven, but I see no loose rocks anywhere. A bellowing call comes from behind us, echoing off the cave walls. Rex has followed us in. I don't have to tell Jamie to pick up the pace. We move as fast as we can, and I continue pressing the button on the side of my phone every time the screen goes dark. Up ahead, I can see some stones on the cave floor, about the size of bowling balls. I plan to stop and pick one up, but as we get closer, I realize they're not stones. They look like human skulls. There are three of them, and they look as though they're fixed to the floor by some kind of growth. We slow as we approach them, staring down. I can see the grinning teeth and the dark sockets where eyes would go, but they're not bare bone. There's tissue growing on them, like muscle, but that can't be right. The skull nearest us writhes, jaw snapping as the thing lunges toward us, only to be stopped well short. It seems to be tethered to the ground. Jamie screams out and jumps back, smacking into the cave wall. I shuffle my feet away from the thing, still staring down in fearful amazement. Attached to the back of the skull is a dark, worm-like body that's stuck in the cave floor. The thing wriggles on that body, still snapping its jaws. Then the other two skulls seem to wake up, doing the same thing. I grab Jamie again and pull him back the way we came, but the beam from Rex's flashlight is close. The crazy skulls in the ground can't move. Rex can. So I change direction again, and we move carefully past the snapping skulls. My phone screen has gone dark again, but I realize we don't need it. The dull glow coming from the walls and floor is enough to see by, so we keep going. Rex bellows again behind us. From the sound of his voice, he's already moved past the skulls. He's drunk enough that he probably didn't even notice them, or if he did, he dismissed them as stones, like I first did. We round another bend in the cave and come to a wall. It's a dead end. I look around frantically, this time turning my phone's flashlight on, shining the beam around, looking for a way out. There's nothing. The cave just ends. For the first time, 
I see that the walls and floor really are red. They glisten with moisture. I press against one wall and feel it flex. It's warm to the touch. I pull my hand back in disgust, wiping it on my pants. There you are. Rex shouts as he comes into view. You're fucking dead, you little bastards. I move in front of Jamie, wishing I'd kept my skateboard helmet in hand when we left the house. Rex smiles as he moves toward us, his bushy sideburns shifting with the facial movement. His flashlight is one of those metal types that doubles as a bludgeon. All I have as a weapon is my phone, and that's no weapon at all. Leave us alone, I shout, sounding much younger than my 16 years. Rex's smile turns into a grin. I can already see the bruise forming where I hit him with the helmet. He's not a small man, not by any means. He wears a white wife-beater tank top, jeans, and work boots. I step up, ready for a fight. He swings his flashlight at my head. I manage to block it with my left arm, but the impact is sickeningly painful. I cry out and grip my arm, fearful it's broken. Rex sees his opportunity and backhands me across the face. I go down in a pile. I'm going to finish the little bitch first, Rex says, stepping over me to get Jamie. Everything is blurry and pain takes over my thinking processes. Still, I manage to stick my foot out to trip Rex. He kicks it away without so much as a glance. Jamie backs up until he hits the dead end, staring up at Rex and shaking his head. Tears spill down his cheeks cheeks that don't yet even have peach fuzz. Rex means to kill us. I don't have to read his thoughts to know that. He's been building toward it ever since my mom married him. His three personal punching bags. I manage to get to all fours as Rex attacks Jamie. His thick, hairy hands wrap around my brother's throat and squeeze. I put my right hand up against the wall to try and stand up. But something strange happens. The cave wall slides out from under my hand and I fall back to my hands and knees. There's now an opening directly to my right where the cave wall once was, and there's something massive coming through the opening. The sight of the huge skull sends the last reserves of adrenaline dumping into my bloodstream. I scramble across the cave as the thing squirms its way through the opening, propelled by its worm-like body. It must be 300 pounds and seven feet long, and it's certainly not stuck in the ground like the others. Its jaws open as it approaches me. I manage to get to my feet on either side of its widening mouth. A second set of jaws comes up from its gullet, reaching out to grab my leg. I push off, half rolling and half jumping away as the interior jaws snap shut where my leg was a moment before. The thing turns toward me as I get to my feet. Jamie is on his knees as Rex leans over him, choking the life from him. My brother's face is changing colors. His eyes bulge and his hands flail at Rex's arms. I move in, picking up the flashlight from next to Rex's foot and swing at him, hitting him in the throat. He coughs, sucking in a hissing breath as he lets go of Jamie. He takes a step back, his eyes wide. The giant worm creature is slithering closer. I look at Jamie, who looks back up at me. We nod at each other. Then we both lunge forward, shoving Rex backward. He stumbles, falling onto his butt. The creature is right behind him now, its head turning slightly sideways. Its jaws open, and the interior set reaches out and grips Rex on either side of his torso. He screams and flails as the jaws puncture his skin and pull him backward into the monster's gullet. 
Then the creature chomps down on him, severing his feet, which fall to the cave floor amid a spew of blood. The thing backs up and turns down the hole that opened up in the wall. We can still hear Rex's muffled screaming from inside the creature. Its large tail disappears through the hole in the wall, which then closes up as if it were never there. You okay? I ask. Jamie nods, rubbing his throat. Let's get out of here, I say. We start the journey out of the strange cave system. What do we tell mom? Jamie asks as we come to the cave mouth. I don't know, I say. Maybe we tell her that the next guy she dates shouldn't have the same name as a dog. Jamie laughs at that. We step out into the rock quarry to find that the rain has stopped. The sun is setting to the west. The clouds a breathtaking combination of pink, purple, and orange. SCP-2385 is a subterranean network composed of undifferentiated human tissue. The matter is bioluminescent, emitting a constant 0.003 lumens. The tunnels that make up the structure wind and interlock, forming a maze. SCP-2385 has a single entrance point. Attempts to either access or assess SCP-2385 from the outside via tunneling and ground-penetrating radar have been met with failure. Due to this, the true size of SCP-2385 is unknown. Mapping of the interior has also proven difficult, as its internal topography fluctuates sporadically. New paths will open in the walls, while other sections will close off. SCP-2385-1 and-2 are vermiform lifeforms that periodically grow within the cave system. Specimens typically range between one to four meters in length, with an average weight of 550 pounds. They possess humanoid heads which are connected to a muscular tail by a fatty midsection. SCP-2385-1 will violently assault anything they perceive to move, including each other. They will constrict incapacitated prey prior to consuming smaller organisms whole. They will occasionally attempt to penetrate larger prey and consume them from within. A pair of pharyngeal jaws is used to manipulate prey items into the gullet. Instances will wander SCP-2385 with no apparent direction and seem to be solely motivated by hunger. Conversely, SCP-2385-2 instances are typically larger than their counterparts and are identifiable by a fibrous growth over their eyes. They are completely docile and have never been observed feeding.